Hi, and welcome. I'm Steve Martorano, and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, The Behavioral Corner. Please, hang around a while. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Behavioral Corner. My name is Steve Martorano. This is what we do here. Uh, We hang on a corner. We sit on the stoop. We run into really interesting people who have great stories to tell. Very, very often on the Behavioral Corner, we like to reach out to people who have had difficulties with substances, alcohol, drugs, whatever, paid the price for that, and made their way out of the other end of that process. We like to remind people of this because in spite of the fact that substance abuse uh, and alcoholism are a major and a huge problem in this country, uh, millions of people get sober. Millions literally get sober and live productive lives it's very important to remind people that's possible. Uh, so that's why we reach out to folks. We call it kind of voices in recovery, but it's just people who uh, who are managing their lives real well. And that's who we have with us uh, today, Carl Muter. I came across Carl's story in the newspaper. It's a fascinating one. It's kind of like a Disney movie, but, um, but I'll, I'll explain that a little later. Uh, Carl uh, joins us to tell us about uh, his struggles with substance abuse and uh, how he's living a productive and full life right now. Carl, thanks for joining us on the corner. Well, thanks for having me. Tell us a, a bit about yourself. You're 57 years old. You were raised where in South Jersey? Ocean County, which I mean, some people consider central, but I would consider it part of South Jersey. Yeah. Uh, Northern yeah, well, Ocean County. Right. Yeah. Tell us about your, your brothers, sisters. How, what was your family life like? I was one out of um, four children, the youngest, two boys and two girls, my brother being the oldest and my sisters being in the middle. Grew up in a town called Bricktown, next to Point Pleasant Borough, which is next to Point Pleasant Beach. Yeah. Growing up in Bricktown, we were on split sessions in school because they didn't have a lot of money for the school budget and they didn't want to build schools right away. Um, We had a lot of retirement committees that would go by the busload and vote down schools. So I guess early on getting really introduced to alcohol, I think it was 10 the first time I drank. I, I took some wine out of my, um, my refrigerator and never said nothing to anybody, but I didn't like its effects. So I really didn't drink till um, I guess 13 when my, my sister had some neighborhood kids in and we took these bottles that my parents had in the closet and put them on ice. They were little airplane bottles. Um, mm-hmm. had a whole collection of them. So that was like the first time. And um, different ways we would drink in the morning because it was before school. We were on split sessions. We wouldn't go in until 12 o'clock. So we'd have all these kids in my parents' house. And we would drink. And that's how it really the drinking started. I mean, wow. I, had other, I had other problems with you know, not getting along in school. I used to I cut school probably before I drank, and I had some problems with depression. So the drinking sort of like, you know, grabbed hold of me, I, I guess, right. so to speak. I, I liked it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you a question about, uh, yeah, so you got yourself a typical middle-class family. You got brothers and sisters, and you sound like uh, a lot of young kids who start uh, – experimenting with this and that in early age, and then it accelerates. It seems like it accelerated very quickly for you. 
but you you said you were treated early on for depression. Were you not a happy? No, I wasn't. I wasn't treated for depression, but I had problems in school. Like I had right. to get remedial in the beginning because I didn't pay attention and stuff like that. You know, I was never big on school. Like I said, I cut school early on, like third grade. I cut school. Really. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about your What about your siblings? Were they similarly rebellious and in trouble? Um. Yeah, but not any more than the usual back then. You know, I was I was just like worse than everybody right. else. You know what I mean? Right. So, so I'm no longer shocked. People tell me they had their first drink at ten or eleven. I've heard it even younger than that. But it accelerates for you. I I know that. Uh, tell us what that progression was like from early drinking to where you wound up. In substance abuse? Well, I had like minor brushes with the law over my drinking, you know, being young, being out on the street. And, um, you know, with my friends, um, they busted me, I think, 16 times for underage drinking by my 16th birthday. <laughs> 16 times? Yeah. So, you know, I had to go to rehab and stuff. They forced me to go to rehab when I was a kid because, you know, I was a juvenile, you know. And um, I think the the first time as an adult, um, just before that, I was on probation for basically a fight that I got, had gotten into. So I was on probation, and they ordered me to go to this rehab. So I go to rehab, and I had just turned 18. And then from the fight, I had lawsuit money. So when I turned 18, I had this, this lawsuit money, and I bought a car with it. And... Then I started getting in trouble with the car before I even got my license. So I lost my license for two and a half years before I even got it. <laughs> Congratulations. That, that's a new one. That's a new one. So your early experience with classic uh, treatment for alcoholism was court ordered. You weren't voluntarily looking for help, right? No. Mm -mm. Yeah. So take us through the progression. I know it didn't stop with alcohol, unfortunately, right? Well, you know, I did other drugs and stuff back then, but it was mainly alcohol, marijuana, um, sometimes some mescaline, mm -hmm. some blotter, LSD, mm -hmm. and a lot of that going around. But mm -hmm. for the most part, it was a drinking and getting in trouble driving and drinking. Right. So you had a problem primarily with alcohol. Um, yeah. How long did you have that problem before you went, this is a problem? So I guess like 1989 when I was splitting with my um, first wife and she ended up, her parents bought her a house out of state and I couldn't really fight that, you know, buying a house for my two kids. So, you know, they moved up there and I, I kind of like lost, you know, not really lost my rights to my kids, but they were 300 miles away. Right. So it was kind of hard to visit, to say mm -hmm. the least. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was basically bouncing from girlfriend to girlfriend when I was young back then. And um, I got into a lot of trouble. I got my third DWI, I guess, in 1990, something like that. I think 12 times on a revolt list they got me for. Um, I'm sorry, on, on what kind of list? Driving on a revoke list. Like 12, oh, oh, on a revoke list. 12, yeah, yeah, yeah. 12, 12 times, I think it was, something like that. So, can I, you know, Carl, can I stop you for a second and ask you a question? I don't think I've ever asked anybody before. Someone like yourself who's a heavy drinker, even if at that point you didn't think you were an alcoholic, 
right? You knew you were a heavy drinker. Why did you keep getting in an automobile? Did you think every time you got in an automobile and you were inebriated that you could handle it? Or did you just not care? Well, it was more like because I drank so often. I even drank on the jobs that I did because I worked on boats. I did all kinds of stuff. Um, I worked in lumber yards. Um, so I guess you could say that in order for me to drive, I would have alcohol in my system before I drove. I wouldn't necessarily be drunk by my standards, but I would be by state standards. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So when the, when the, when the, when the, that's a great answer. When the drinking problem becomes as chronic as it, it, as it was, the person drinking doesn't really think of themselves as I'm getting, I'm going to get drunk. They're sort of inebriated more or less the whole time. Is that, so you get right. in the car, you drive and you always get, you're lucky you didn't, were you in any accidents? No, I mean, at least three of the times that I got stopped, um, I wasn't even stopped. I was actually stopped in the car sleeping. So they got me three times when I was sleeping for my, for my DWIs, um, three times I was sleeping in the car. So, you know, but I got other times I got, I got, um, one, one time, the last time I got in trouble, I was pulled over and I was getting water for a car because it was overheating. And I went to the liquor store and came back. And that was the last time. They came. <laughs> you went to the liquor store for the water? to. And I went to the liquor The car wasn't drivable. So I went to the liquor store and I got something to drink. And I came back to the car and, and they, they arrested me. They, right. I got in the car and the cops came. I closed the, I, I closed the locks on the car. And I opened up my bottle, I started drinking it. And they started yelling at me and open the door, open the door. So I opened the door up, I get out. So when I went to court for that, they said it was intent. I wasn't even, you know, like I wasn't even driving. There was no keys in ignition or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. They said yeah. it was intent. So they took my life. That was the last time they took it. It was 16 years it took it for. They took but, it for 16 um, years. So you're pretty much, you're 57 years old, you pretty much, uh, a pedestrian these days you're not driving a car a lot is that right no i lost my license for 37 and a half years total but but i did have a, a period of sobriety from um my first period of sobriety was from 1990 through um 94 mm-hmm. I, I quit i quit drinking i actually went from high school dropout essentially to a um, college graduate and things didn't work out for me so i so i had been sober before yeah during that period when you got yourself together what um how did you do that well i had a job and i was working in an ice skating rink and boss said to me he said if you come to work one more time drunk you're fired you have to quit drinking he said this is the last time i'm going to tell you and i was working there i guess about a year and so true to my word i said i promise i won't drink and then I started going to AA, and that's when I progressed. I actually had one semester in college before that, but, um, you know, that was in between my dr- bouts of drinking, and, and, I, and I did all right. But, you know, when I, I got my GED eight, when I was 18 before my class graduated, so I had a high school education, you know, basically a slip of paper from, you know, the state. Yeah, you know. yeah. But so so uh, AA is not a, strictly speaking, a treatment for alcoholism. It's a support group. You had no formal tr- uh, 
treatment in a, in a, a uh, either outpatient or residential for alcoholism. Is that right? No, no. I you just have. stopped drinking. Oh, you have been in treatment. Yeah, about I've been to about three. Oh, okay. Well, tell me about that experience. Why didn't the, uh, the ones that didn't take? What happened? Well, I really never had my heart into it when I went to them. It was usually to get out of going to jail or something to that effect. Ah, so they were, yeah, you were always there because you, you had to stay out of jail, right? Right, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. you know, for the driving stuff. Yeah. So what What about AA? Did AA that uh, appealed to you that kept you sober for, was it the being together with people or what you were hearing? What? what how did AA help? No, the first time around, I guess I was going for about six months, and I met this um, woman, and I started dating her. I was dating her for seven years, but the the, um, the first four, I was sober. The last three, I wasn't. We weren't living together or anything like that, but I, I graduated from college and applied to 13 law schools and started getting shot down one by one, and before that, I was in D.C. and I've seen all these kids going. I was doing an internship in D.C. and I've seen all these kids going out drinking and having a good time. And I'm like, well, you know, I want to go party. I don't even care anymore. So I went right. out and party. But I finished up down there and, and I graduated from Stockton. But I came home and I started hitting the booze really hard after quitting for, you know, four years. I started hitting the booze really hard. And then I started hitting hard drugs like cocaine and I did some heroin and I hung out with the wrong kind of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been uh, diagnosed as having any underlying mental, uh, mental health issues? I started getting treated in 94, but I was still drinking. So it wasn't really working, I guess you could say. What were you being treated for? Depression? Yeah, for depression and anxiety. What yeah, and anxiety. Were were you on medication at that point as well? Yeah, um, my first bout with um, the the system as far as my mental health. I was going to community mental health system up in uh, Monmouth County when I was living up there for a year. An apartment up there. The police, I think it was a Long Branch police, picked me up and I passed out on somebody's front lawn, and they ended up. They put me in this room with a with the straight jacket on. That was like my first introduction to the system. Huh. That wasn't good. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. Um, are you still on medication for depression and anxiety? My brushes with being institutionalized were because of being suicidal. Like I swallow all my pills. It found me in an alley. That type of thing. Right. So you know, I you know, I did. I was on a bunch of different medications, but again, like I said, most of them I, I was drinking with or was drinking shortly thereafter when I started taking them again. I remember I had six months here and there where I didn't drink and I just took the psychotropics, but the psychotropics yeah. didn't really work for me or they'd work for a while and then they'd stop working, you know? Yeah. And alcohol was still too easy to go get self-medicate, yeah. right? Yeah. We're hanging on the corner with Carl Muter. Carlos from South Jersey, terrific story. I mean, you've heard the grim details of it. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, uh, Carl will bring us up to speed on uh, where he is now leading a sober life and um, his kind of running buddy today. Who It's a, a different, kind of, different kind of situation now. Behavioral Corner, don't go away. Every storm runs out of rain, according to the great Maya Angelou. 
Her words can remind us of one very simple truth, that storms do cross our paths, but they don't last forever. So the question remains, how do we ride out this storm of COVID-19 and all the other storms life may throw our way? Where do we turn when issues such as mental health or substance abuse begin to deeply affect our lives? Look to Retreat Behavioral Health. With a team of industry-leading experts, they work tirelessly to provide compassionate, holistic, and affordable treatment. Call to learn more today. 855-802-6600. Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. So, uh, Carl, uh, I always say this during interviews like this, all stories of uh, substance abuse are the same, except they're different. You know, we're going to get to the different part with you just now. You know, that's a pretty grim story. We've heard worse, to tell you the truth, but it's pretty standard. A lot of trouble. Almost 10 years now, you're back on your feet. A BA, you said you got, even in the midst of all the trouble, you were managing to get an education. You work now in substance abuse counseling, correct? Not really substance abuse counseling. I work in mental health. I work with homeless people. How did that come about? Wow. I didn't get treated. For, I either got treated for one or the other for mental health or substance abuse. I, I didn't really kind of do them together ever. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of my recovery has to, doesn't even have to do with substance. It has to do with getting your frame of mind right in the beginning. You can maintain drinking, but you can also let the dr- drinking get the better of you, and and you you don't do anything. You just lose all lack of motivation to do anything. Or change your lot in life, so to speak. The substance abuse is the outward manifestation of what's really going on. I mean, you can stop abusing alcohol and still have all kinds of problems because your head's not screwed on right. Straighten out your problems and still drink. I did that for a while. Yeah, strange, you know, isn't it? Maybe 2002 on, I gave up all the drugs. And I figured the drugs was my biggest problem. I could still drink if I managed it. And that's what I did. I drank every day after work or every time I got done doing advocacy work when I was on disability. I didn't let the alcohol take over that part of what I did in my life because I drank at night. But then again, you wake up in the morning and you have that hangover feeling. Your face is all flush. Mm-hmm. So health-wise, it's not good. When was the last time you had a drink? 2011. 2011. Yeah. Well, you know what? In ter- in anybody's terms, that's a successful run. You're going on a decade. Congratulations. That's great. You know, the other thing I've learned from talking to lots of people who have stories like yours is you can't judge the manner in which they got sober. However they got sober is a valuable thing. It's to be praised and, and uh, talked about. One of the things that's helped so many people is this, you know, community of former abusers or family sometimes, or your children, you have something that's helped you stay sober for the past couple of years. That's uh, almost like a Disney movie. Tell us the story about a guy and his dog. Tell us the story about, about Bosco and how you found him and what you've been through. My second wife, I got into a domestic over money with, with her. And, um, I was drinking, I had my son here, and it was a disagreement over money, and I was talking to my son about his securities, and she butted in and said, cash the securities to fix my teeth. And I just turned around and I looked at him sitting at the table with my son, and I said, before 
fix your teeth with his money, I'll kick him down your throat. So <laughs> she, um, yeah, you should have learned by that point that you can't be saying things like that, right? So <laughs> I think I called her the C word the night before. Yeah, that's not a good. That's not a good idea either, Carl. But anyhow, she put me out of my house. So okay. So I was like, well, this is war. So I got I, I got an attorney and it got me through the domestic. I said, I'll move it back in the house when she's totally out because, I, you know, she's not paying the bills. She needs to, she needs to leave. So how much time does she need? They said she said two months. So after two months, she's left. And I took over the house. I've been here ever since. There's a great dog story here. Where did where did the dog come into all that? After she was out of the house, um, I was sad because I had to put my other dog down because he was sick. When I went to adopt the dog, at the animal shelter. Yeah, and they asked me if I would foster a dog, and they said we just got him from Georgia, and they said he he needed to he needed somewhere quiet to stay, so he wouldn't get excited because. And they thought, wait a minute, they at the shelter they thought your uh, home would be the kind of quiet place this dog needed. So it worked, right? How long ago was that? That was back in um, 2016. So you've had Bosco for that long, and um, you still don't have a driver's license. Is that right? Or you just you just don't drive anymore? What's the deal? Well, I tried to do some post-conviction reliefs with, a, with an attorney to try to see if I could get back earlier. But they never went anywhere with that because, you know, you would, couldn't even get the judges to reopen the cases. Mm-hmm. So I basically just have to wait it out. And you wait it out to, and get around on a bicycle, right? Yeah, this is how you came to the attention to the local newspaper and around here, the Philadelphia Inquirer, because you and Bosco could be seen tooling around your town. You have a little like carrier in the back of the bike that you take the dog around with you. Yeah. Uh, attracted the attention of the media, uh, us as well. It's an amazing story. Uh, and then ironically, um, you get hit by a hit and run driver, you and the dog. Were you, how, how seriously were you injured? I have, um, I had spinal fusion back when I was like 20 years old um, for scoliosis. Mm-hmm. So any any type of injury on my back, my whole back gets, you know, basically thrown out of whack. I got bulging discs and stuff. So when I got hit, the night I got hit, I just know from previous experience that if you don't carry auto insurance, they won't cover anything. The accident wasn't your fault. I mean, you're on a bicycle, and a guy hits you and, run, and leaves the scene of the accident, right? Yeah, so, you know, they called the, the paramedics when, when I was there, but I refused treatment because I said, I don't want to get stuck with the bill. The dog was un, 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 unfazed, right? No, the, the cart that I had hand-built, he broke apart, and he must have been went flying through the air because when I got up, after I got run over, I got up, and the bicycle was like... Um, 10 feet behind me and 10 feet behind the bicycle was the car. Like it broke apart and there was no dog. I got up. I was like, Bosco, Bosco. I started yelling. I was, I was, you know, I was crying basically. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you something. Um, You've been uh, sober for 10 years. You've had Bosco for, would you say six, about six years now. People who knew your story uh, responded. Uh, They raised some money. So you get at least the bike and the, and the carrier back, back together. Um, how helpful is a dog, your dog, in, in managing your sobriety? Does it help you? Um, I would say so, but, you know, if I didn't have him, I would be volunteering. I'd be doing something, you know, with my time, you know. 
where's Bosco right now? Is he outside? Is he in? Um, he's in the window in the sun right now. <laughs> he's looking at you. So you continue your work in uh, with the homeless, keeping plugged into somebody and helping. Where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? The next couple of years, I'm just planning on maintaining what I have, my house, and uh, um, eventually get my license back. I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford a car because right now I, could, I couldn't really afford one, so it depends, you know. If you do get your license back, you'll never drive inebriated again, right? No, not at all. Carl, no. thanks so much for your time. Your story's encouraging again. Uh, as I said, the details of these things are always grim. But we like to find people who manage to, one way or another, punch their way through to the other side. Man's got an education. He's helping uh, the homeless. And he's got a dog that uh, they're devoted to each other. It's a great story. Uh, Carl Muta, thanks for joining us on The Corner. We appreciate it. Thank you. You have to take care. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on The Behavioral Corner.